The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us today, it's privilege, um, frankly, mine, uh, to say that I am uh, joined by both Martin Luther III and Andrea Waters King. And both of you are just heroes of mine personally and and champions of civil rights so thank you so much both of you for being here today thank you we we're, we're certainly honored to have the opportunity to share absolutely so there's so much going on in this current moment of american history martin i'll start with you um i just recently spoke to bernice about um where we are as a country um, and and thinking through your father's legacy, where do you think we are in terms of um, the fight for civil rights, human rights, and, and justice for everyone? Well, first of all, I would have to say that this is, of course, the uh, 40 years since Ronald Reagan signed the King holiday. We just observed that holiday, the 37th annual holiday, because it was signed in 1983. And it first began to be observed federally in 1986. And so uh, when we think about 40 years since it's signing the holiday and where our nation is, we are at a very critical juncture because we have chosen, it feels like, to um, focus on our divisions as opposed to focusing on what brings us together as a nation and how to lift each other up as opposed to how to pull each other down. So if we talk, that's, that's, that's the first backdrop. The second backdrop is if we look at just the African-American community, and I wanna hone in on to economic inequality. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to the pandemic, now this is prior, black families in terms of wealth had about uh, 18 to $20,000 average of wealth, whereas white families were almost 180,000. That has probably gone down because the pandemic did such a, had such a devastating effect on all of us in our nation and really around the world. And so what are we gonna do to close this? How are we gonna close this gap as it relates to that one metric? There are many more because you got, if you look at healthcare, there are disparities in healthcare. Mm-hmm. If you look at education, there are disparities in education. Uh, and the list goes on and on. And in fact, in education, it feels as if some in our society, at least 17 states, have passed laws to not teach full history. Uh, and they're coding it in something they have identified as critical race theory, which actually is a teaching that is done in law school, not in primary and secondary mm-hmm. school, but 
some elected officials, largely Republican, have chosen to say, uh, we don't want to be engaged in critical race theory. So you basically, you are revising history and writing out history. What that means is we as a society are in great trouble. And unless we as a community, blacks and whites and Latinos and Hispanics and Native Americans come together, uh, and Asian Americans, I should say, and address this issue, mm-hmm. we're going to be in, in dire straits. One of the things that makes me think about is the fact that we sort of called what happened in the summer of 2020 the racial reckoning. But in in response to that, as you just mentioned, there are efforts to ban the teaching of African-American studies in the case of Florida or so-called critical race theory classes that, again, are not, as you said, taught um, in anything but law schools. So, Andrea, talk about the fact that we didn't we didn't reckon we are trying to avoid the reckoning by not teaching the history that we would be forced to reckon with. You know, it's interesting because it seems it is inevitable when you look at any type of the movement throughout histories, there is always an inevitable backlash once there is a perceived some type of perceived progression forward. Um, So in a lot of aspects, what happened in 2020 was an awakening um, and some people then decided to make it um, a nightmare. Um, Mm. Martin's father's last sermon was given at the Washington Cathedral. And in it, he talked about remaining awake. And it's so interesting to me how being quote unquote woke is now used in a derogatory term, where mm-hmm. if you really study Martin Luther King Jr., he admonished us, he, his last sermon, the advice that he gave is that we must stay awake during revolutionary times. So what we've also seen since 2020 is that we've seen the voting rights being attacked in all 50 states and literally laws being put on the books that are making it harder, not easier for people to vote. We have seen the the, um, rights of women being rolled back since 2020. We are seeing that history is more and more being attacked. Our nation's history is not being taught in schools. Um, So we are seeing in a lot of ways, you know, what we believe is that laws should be in place to lift us all up. Mm-hmm. However, what we have seen since 2020 is laws being put in place that are limiting people. That's one of the reasons that we are asking, we're gathering people and we're coming together again this August um, on the 60th anniversary of the I Have a Dream and the March on Washington, not merely as a, you know to come as an anniversary, but we really are wanting to call us all together. We're looking at what is happening in this country and we are saying that we are awake. We're not sleeping through a revolution and we are going to all together. All of us are the dream and we all will do our part in fulfilling the dream and the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. Coretta Scott King. Martin, how do you think one of the things that I always talk about that I think any of us should be concerned about is that our daughter who is Martin Luther King Jr.'s and Coretta Scott King's only grandchild Mm -hmm. is now at the age of 14, sitting with less rights, fewer rights Mm. than the day that she was born, she and her peers. So she, there are fewer rights because I said she was born in 2008 and 2013, Mm -hmm. the federal voting rights act, one of the crowning achievements of her grandparents work 
was decimated. Following that in 2020, Georgia, the state in which we live in, was one of the states that passed these um, repressive and oppressive voting rights laws, making it harder to vote. So, sorry, not voting rights, the opposite of voting rights. Mm -hmm. And then also last year, we saw what happened to the rights as a female um, for her body. And also we live in a state where the governor has said that treat teaching critical race theory, and I'm using that term in air quotes, because again, what we're really talking about is teaching America's history mm -hmm. is being is outlawed. So you when you look at she and her peers and any child, any female child that was born last year was born with fewer rights than the previous generations, than her grand, than her mother and her grandmother. I believe, and I'm doing the research to make sure that this is correct, that that has not happened since Reconstruction. Wow. That generations are being born now with fewer rights. And that's something that we as a country should be very concerned about. And that's why we're calling us all together. And, and you said so many things there that I want to touch on. <clears throat> One of them is, is that last point that you made about um, this generation being born with fewer rights. I mean, talk a bit, Martin, about how the fight towards freedom is is long. I mean, I think I was sort of um, joking um, with your sister about how, you know, the arc, like, is it going to, is it, is bending really slowly? Like it's, it's, this is a slow bend where, are we leaning? Are we almost there? We never know where we are. Um, but I feel like the path towards justice is long and sometimes there are steps back. Can you talk a bit about how you continue to push forward through that? Well, first of all, you have to understand, I think uh, we need to understand that this is not a, a sprint. Uh, we live in a society where everything is a microwave concept. We want, and we would love to see things happen quickly. But even during my father's campaigns, although there were, if you, you think about it, the bus boycott was 1955. Um, and then it was several years before the sit-in movement and the freedom rides, 60 and 60, right. 61 and 62. And then it was another few years before the Birmingham campaign would create, which created the Civil Rights Act. So I'm not suggesting that it has to be a long, long time, but the fact of the matter is this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Secondly, the moral arc of the universe is long, but we have to sometimes, we have to help bend it. Uh, mm -hmm. bend it to where it needs to be. And that's what engagement is about. That's why we should be in the forefront. We should all be engaged and not be saying, well, there's nothing I can do because your mindset dictates what your, your, your you know, it's like the your attitude determines your mm -hmm. altitude. Yep. If your attitude is, well, there's nothing I can do. That's exactly what's going to happen. But if your attitude is no matter what is thrown at me, I'm going to overcome it. And that's what we have to create, that kind of climate within our community so that people can push their congresspeople, their senators, their governors, their mayors, uh, their city council members and their school boards. We have to do that. And the ju judges, all of this has to be engagement. And it doesn't mean that we have to all be engaged in everything. Mm -hmm. Every last one of us can do something small to make a difference, even if it's just sending a tweet. That's a small thing that anybody can do. 
but it can have impact because this information is being qualified and quantified on a daily basis. And that is what is going to help. I think ultimately that is one of the things that will help transform our nation so that we do have a, a society where freedom and justice and equality exist for all humankind. One of the things, too, I think that is important to remember is that Coretta Scott King said that freedom is never really won, that each mm. generation has to, to do their part. Right. I believe what we believe is like that almost like the eternal flames that if, you know, it, that we, we almost see that freedom and justice almost like the, an internal flame. But each generation has to do their part to feed that flame. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the gift of everything that's happened these past few years is made is again to for us to awaken and to, for us all to really assess what are we doing to at this generation to feed those flames of peace, justice, and equity. Another thing that we've done at home, you know, particularly with our daughter, because <laughs> you know, obviously, even though we are activists, we also are human. And you know, obviously in this work there's a lot of ups and downs. And one of the things that um, we did was I ordered a boomerang. Mm. And I was showing her that when you, you know, the, the, the nature of um, the universe is a forward moving, expansive nature. So, you know, always, you know, it's, that's kind of one of the laws, you know, that everything is continuing to move forward. And so when things appear to be going backwards, it's, all, it's very much like a, a boomerang. And so, mm -hmm. you know, the, the more you pull it, the, and the tighter it goes, the longer it goes backwards or like a slingshot, sorry, you know, then those, those things tighten up and on the side. And then when you let it go, it's going to propel even farther forward. Um, and sometimes, you know, in this, this work and particularly as what we're seeing now, things are, you know, they're tightening and going, going farther, you know, backwards in a very real sense. But what I know and believe is that with truth and justice and peace and the the legacy, which all of us are heirs to Martin Luther King Jr., Coretta Scott King, that once we let that go and we all do our part to prepare, we all as a society will propel forward. I love that you just took us inside of how you as parents are teaching your, your daughter um, about all of these um, civil rights and justice issues, because I, I don't necessarily know if people realize that, as you said, you're just people, right? And so um, it's like, what what would the the children of, of Martin Luther King teach their children about civil rights and justice? I love that you gave us that example. I think that is very relatable. Um, when you think about your work and investments in the new generation of grassroots leaders, talk a bit about your work with grassroots organizations, because there are so many young activists and young people who are now engaged. Gen Z is very active and engaged in issues of civil rights. They see some of these issues completely differently than older generations. And I feel like I have a lot of hope <laughs> um, that they can they can make radical change. Well, we have one of those in our household. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yes. and trust me, she, she keeps, like I'm sure so many parents or um, aunts and uncles or, you know, anyone that's, you know, has these young people um, or, around them, they, they can attest that they certainly keep your feet to the fire. Um, so, you know, she, we're always, she's always, you know, making sure that, you know, our messaging and what we're doing and, and saying at DMI is something that young people, um, you know, she's very much involved and she actually is in charge of youth development at the organization. But one of the, the things that we are most um, excited about is that last fall we announced 
the drum major coalition. Um, and when we, we were pushing, as you know, for federal voting rights um, last, the early part of last year, and when that fell short just by two votes, it became quickly clear that this needed to be a state by state on the ground um, offensive and defensive in a lot of cases. And so we um, found who we, we feel are some of the most impactful and innovative groups, um, 40 initially, black and brown led groups um, that are doing great work. And we are working with them as a coalition to raise, our goal is to raise $100 million over the next four years. And that money is going directly to these groups on the grounds in communities, community-based groups again, that are doing excellent work. And so that's one of the ways in which we are investing um, within the black and brown community, but, and also within community-based um, organizations, because I, I think sometimes people forget, they think of Martin Luther King Jr. as a minister, which he was, as a scholar, which he was, as a great orator, which he was, but also he was an activist. Mm -hmm. um, and so these groups and individuals are in a very real sense continuing the work in this they're in the same business same line of business as Martin Luther King Jr. And let me let me add one thing to it because the the the, the 40 groups are in a number of states Arizona uh, Texas um, Georgia Florida, Florida North Carolina Pennsylvania Michigan, Michigan uh, Wisconsin so mm -hmm. it's a, a compilation of of, of organizations and states that have been identified that really will give the black and brown community political power ultimately. So our task, as Andrea said, uh, Andrea being the president of the Drum Major Institute, I'm the chairman of the board. Our task is to infuse and empower these organizations so they can continue to focus. Uh, they, they were very involved in the most recent election in last year in November <laughs> in the sense that Many of the MAGA, uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I hate to do it, say it this way, but I'm, I'm just election to be, be clear. Yeah, the election, yeah, many of the election deniers who were running for secretary of states in those areas, they all lost. And part of that reason was because these grassroots black and brown organizations were working their tails off to make sure that people understood the issues and people came out. And, you know, democracy was lifted up. And that's what we want to continue to do, but ultimately to empower black and brown, the black and brown political community as well. It's so important to in empower people um, via the right to vote. And I feel like we don't we probably don't talk enough about the fact that um, what they were protesting in Selma was voting rights, like the access to the ballot box. And I think that often we we think that it was something else. Like we skip over like what technically they were um, fighting for in that specific moment. And I think we are looking similarly at a moment in which those same, it's, it's almost like it's the same people, but the same mechanisms and suppressive tactics are in play against the same groups. And I think, Andrea, that's because of the demographic shifts um, that are underway in the country where, um, as Martin said, black people will have more political power. Um, uh, Latino people will have more political power. AAPI people will have more political power. Can you talk a bit about how the backlash is, is effectively to the fact that 
by 2045, the predictions are that America will be majority non-white voters. I think it's very interesting that before Martin Luther King Jr. told the world about his dream, he told the world to give us the ballot. That's the cornerstone of democracy. Mm -hmm. And I always say to people, if you think your vote is not important, how come there's always so many obstacles to take that vote away? Um, And so that is the fundamentally, whenever you start looking at backlash and rights being stripped away, it always starts within the voting. voting. Um, You have to remember that even after Reconstruction, Black men had the right to vote. And then, of course, with the laws being systematically being passed, that was one of the rights that were taken away. White women had to fight for their right to vote. Um, And then, of course, in the civil rights movement, Black Black men, Black women, we all had to fight for our rights Mm -hmm. to vote. So it wasn't an accident that that was one of the very first things legislatively that we saw being taken away. And to your point that now that there's all of these divisions, one of also one of the things that's happening more and more, which I neglected to say earlier, is also the attack on our the gay and lesbian and transgender community. Mm-hmm. You're, you're seeing that don't say gay, you know, in school. So you're having all of these laws being passed that are all of the great achievements that we have that we made in the 60s and 70s and 80s, you're seeing them being thoughtfully and intentionally stripped away. Um, And I think it's more imperative than ever for us all to come together because we all are the beloved community that Martin Luther King Jr. talked about. And also, I had the unique and distinct privilege of working for many years for Reverend C.T. Vivian, who was Mm -hmm. um, a major not only, you know, worked alongside Martin's father, but also was instrumental within Selma um, and the voting rights process. I Mm -hmm. I worked for an organization that he and Ann Braden, who was a um, Martin's father mentioned in the letter from a Birmingham jail, a a white Southerner that was in the fight and cause for black freedom. And so working for the two of them, having them mentored by people who literally did change our world, Mm -hmm. it taught me in a visceral aspect what can and what will be done when we all come together. So this is not theoretical. This is, I I know what happens when people, I know the sacrifices that have to be made, but I also know the victories that happen when we all come together and stand together to create the kind of world that we all um, want to live in together. Let let me add one dynamic because (laughs) this is not directly in line with the question, but to some degree it will relate. And the fact is we used to be able to go to the courts for relief. And in fact, the courts historically always were about expansion, expansiveness. The the courts for the first time in 213 when they eviscerated the Voting Rights Act and when they most recently with the the Roe decision, the pre-pass Roe, Actually, it's called something else. But what they did was they restricted and Mm -hmm. really looked backward and went moved backward. So, again, this is why voting is so critically important. Had people voted, more people voted in the election when Donald Trump was elected, then another president may have uh, selected different 
judges on the Supreme Court. Uh, but we now have the, the Supreme Court is like, what, six, five or six conservatives, mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, more balanced, five and four, which it used to be. And so we now have to go and redouble, re, uh, quadruple our efforts because the courts don't seem to be wanting to give us help. In fact, they have stated through some of their members, like Clarence Thomas, that they're even going to roll back things even further. And again, the only thing that can overcome that is the engagement of people. And so we have to almost stay on the battlefield, not 24-7, because sometimes you have to you have to take a break. You have to meditate. You have to mm -hmm. pray. You have to you know, retract just for a minute to refortify oneself so you can come back and be engaged in a more thoughtful and constructive and strategic way. And I think that's what my, my dad and his team did, although, you know, it seemed like a short period of time because from 55 to 68, which is when dad was on the national stage, that certainly was a short period of time. But through that time, again, one has to figure out how can I fortify myself so that I can stay engaged in this battle mm. that is going to create rights for all people and generations yet unborn. I like that a lot. I mean, I think about um, the fact that <laughs> the fight, it, it just going to continue long past when any of us are here. And so our job here in our one life is to do what we can to make sure that the people that come after us have more rights, not not fewer rights, um, as you just explained, because of the Supreme Court. What would it actually look like? I mean, every year in January um, on Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, you have conservatives, usually it's conservatives, quoting uh, your father, um, misconstruing, I would say, um, his message um, for, for their own political benefit. But they focus on one particular part of the I have a dream speech about the content of someone's character. And I always hear that coming from them. And I'm, I mean, even as when I was a little girl, I was like, you know, I do want people to judge me only by the content of my character, but I also want them to respect who I am on the outside too. Like I, I want them to respect me as a human equally to anyone else. And yes, I want them to, to, you know, judge me for the content of my character too. And I think if you listen to the full speech <laughs> and if you, and, and if you, and if you think about the full legacy, um, you know, it, it's also about justice, not just, you know, um, not seeing color or some, something vague idea like that. Talk a bit about what it would actually look like um, for your father's dream to be realized in the true sense, not the misinterpretation. So first of all, what is missed often and what intentionally has been done by the media, uh, mainstream and all, is to look at my dad in a very surface way. Um, the, and the fact of the matter is the content of one's uh, character is just something that we, we expect to get to. It's, it's certainly, we're, not, we're nowhere near that point yet in my judgment. But what people miss is he talked about the fact that a check had been sent to the federal government to provide services and it came back marked insufficient funds. Mm -hmm. So you missed that whole economic message. And then later on, beyond I Have a Dream, 1963, he talked about a radical redistribution of wealth. And that's what even today, when we talk about income inequality, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a radical redistribution. It does not mean that people who are wealthy uh, are going to lose all their money, but it does mean there has to be uh, a more redistribution of wealth if we're going to lift all boats. Uh, you know, our society does not allow, does not, has historically, I mean, capitalism has to be constantly refined in my judgment because mm. capitalism uh, basically has to have an underclass. Uh, and so you keep a, a, a group of people permanently as an underclass. And to me, that's not a healthy society. It works for some, but you know, you really want a society that really works for all. It does not mean, however, that everybody will be rich and wealthy, but it does mean that everybody in the United States can have the best education. Everybody can have a decent job. Everyone can have health care. Everyone can have justice. That those things it does mean. And yet that's just not true at this particular moment. And so we got to we 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 got to really quadruple our efforts, maybe even more than quadruple to a maximum degree if we're going to create parity in our society. And when the fact of the matter is, you know, what what we are seeing from this backlash, I think there is a fear among some whites in our society that black folk and others are going to do to them what they did to us. And Mm -hmm. so that fear of black folk taking over, of Latinos taking over. Uh, I, I would say that's not necessarily founded or true, but that is what the part of the fear is when you see black folk emerging and rising, when you saw over 50 demonstrations in our nation in every state in our nation after George Floyd, many of them led by young white kids. And that's when we I got that inevitable pushback. Just like in 1963, after the march on Washington, there was so much enthusiasm in the black community and elements of the white community in other communities. And less than three weeks after the march on Washington, you had the 16th Street Baptist Church where four little girls were killed by a bomb. So again, these pushbacks are always, they've always, we've seen them throughout our history and will continue to see them. But what we have to do is redouble down uh, mm-hmm. to, 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 to actually accomplish the goals and objectives that we want to achieve. For, and I say for all oh, people. Oh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, this younger generation, I feel like, I mean, I have a lot of hope <laughs> um, because I, I, I consume a lot of content created um, by that generation online. And I feel like they get what you just said. They get it. Um, And I think that they are eager to do this work because I don't think they want to live in a world where everyone is not treated equally. Um, When One more question before we go quickly. Um, When you think about, when you think about the future, um, what keeps you going? I mean, we've talked so much today about um, the different strategies and investments and engagement, but how do you stay optimistic and and resist cynicism? I, first of all, we stay grounded in the fact that this work is about collective responsibility, not collective guilt. And when what we saw during this last last midterm election, when democracy was on the line, that democracy won. I firmly believe that there are more people of goodwill than not Mm -hmm. in this country. I think that also as we're witnessing the backlash, we also are witnessing in a lot of ways 
the dying off of an old way of being and the birthing of a new way of being. And sometimes, you know, birth can be messy and chaotic. But I do believe ultimately, particularly if we do our part, each of us to feed the flames of peace, justice, and equity, what will be birthed and what is being birthed is something glorious and majestic in a very real sense the beloved community that Martin's parents um, talked about. And also, like I said earlier, I have been mentored by people who actually have made positive change in our country, in our world. So I, so again, this is not theoretical. This is very real to us because we know what can be done tangibly when people of goodwill come together and stand for um, the beloved community, stand for a way of, and, and we have to remind people that the beloved community is not a utopia. You know, as Martin said, everyone isn't rich, everyone's not always getting along, but it is a place where brotherhood and sisterhood are literally the first order. They're not just, as Martin's father said, mere utterances, but it really mm. is the first order of business on any legislative agenda. You know, it is a place where birthrights, um, that where civil rights and voting rights are birthrights. It is a place where we do say gay. It is a place where, again, our history is taught not out of collective guilt, but out of collective responsibility. It is a place where laws are passed to lift us all up and not limit us. And let, let me add, um, mm -hmm. I, I like, and, I, and, and I'm, 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 a, uh, I'm surprised that Andre doesn't say this because she always does. But a lot of our inspiration comes from what we see happening by, by these young people. You mm -hmm. cannot discount. You know, it was 19, by 1963, uh, in 63 in Birmingham, you had high school and elementary students who were tragically arrested. And I guess society said, maybe it's all right to arrest men for because you've always arrested black men for sure. Maybe it's even all right sometimes to arrest women. But when you arrest our children, our most precious resource, what does that say about your society? That's, in a sense, one of the motivators that helped create a Civil Rights Act, I believe, of 1964. But today, it had been a number of years since we'd seen young high school students engaged. But in, right. in, at, after Parkland, after Douglas Stone and Parkland High School, and kids were shot uh, at that school, 14 or so kids and a, and a teacher were killed, the students got engaged. Uh, and then of course, Black Lives Matter, regardless of, of whether there's a miss, there are major miss, some mistakes that have been made by the leadership right now, you cannot discount the contribution that these young people have made to our nation for the last 10 or 12 years. We've made progress because of that. You cannot discount the Flint. women's movement. Right. You cannot discount like Little Miss Flint. And of course, you know, we're so proud of, of our own daughter. I won't talk about her today, but we always talk about her because, you know, she is standing for, for things. And then in the world community, you know, Greta Thornburg about the environment, mm -hmm. the list goes on and on, Malawa in, in, in Pakistan. I mean, these young people are changing the, the nation and the world. And there are many more that yet we don't know about, but every day, as you say, they're content creators that are creating positive content that at some point is going to have a significant impact in changing this world for the better. The kids at the Native American reservation oh, two yeah. years ago. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, uh -huh. there's. Yeah. The list is is long, and I think that's a good thing because 
you know, as you just said, it is ins- it's inspiring to watch them. And I feel like, you know, I I have a responsibility, as Andrea said, to do more as well. We all have a responsibility. Um, thank you both for being here, Martin Luther King III and Andrea Waters King. It's been a privilege and I'm just going to smile for the rest of the day because I'm going to marinate on the wisdom that you both shared this morning. Thank you again for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.